Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin and Mike Ingersoll. You are listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. And Ross, you know those guys. And these guys are now the Inside Carolina podcast sponsor. Tell us about it. Yeah, a new title sponsorship for the IC podcast, Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. They have four locations in and around Chapel Hill, right in the, in the near the heart of campus, one in Hillsborough, one on 54, one on Elliott Road, and one on MLK. And they partner with us to kind of get the word out on their locations. We're going to talk more about them later in the podcast. We have a special promo code for IC podcast listeners, but we want to kind of welcome in this new sponsor, uh, Jersey Mike's, a great option for just hopping in and getting a delicious sub and also for tailgating. I think a lot of people don't think about subs as an option for tailgating, but it's quick, it's easy, you can knock it out. So big shout out to Jersey Mike's Chapel Hill, and we'll be talking about them a lot more on the episodes to come. Absolutely. I, I just had dinner, but I'm hungry again, Ross, so we'll talk more later in the show. But since we've got Mike Ingersoll on the show tonight, I'm going to go into the offensive line right away, Mike. And I want to ask you about a guy like J.J. McCargo. Here we've got a, a Carolina team that's had Russell Bodine, that had Lucas Crowley, that had Cam Dillard at center last year, all guys that had a ton of experience, um, you know, age, juniors and seniors. Uh, speak to a guy like McCargo coming in, uh, the likely starter at center for this North Carolina team. Talk about what it's like. Uh, do you think, or what's going on in his head as he prepares for this season? Well, JJ's probably gone into this season knowing he's going to be the starter for for a while, and you know whether he's actually slated to be the starter on the on the depth chart or anything he's spoken about with the coaches leading up to this point is kind of irrelevant. Um, you know, he's he's known in his mind that he's the starter, and that's kind of all that matters to him. Um, and that sort of mentality is what's going to get you. That's going to get you running with the ones. You know more times than not. So JJ has, has already had the confidence that he's going to be in there, that he's going to be the guy. Um, there's always competition at, at every position, but some guys have it locked down a little bit better than others. And JJ is one of them. You know, I saw some things with him uh, when, when he came in and do some uh, play, playing some spot duty last year. Um, he's got great hand placement. He's got great hips. Um, there's always things you can work on, but having to come in, you know, out of, out of nowhere really. And, 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 and coming in a pinch and, and play some emergency emergency snaps, you know, J.J. played really, really well. And center is one of those positions that's hard to do that because people don't understand how difficult it is to snap a football. And for the quarterback, for the center, it's different. You know, different centers place the ball in different places. And, you know, every quarterback coach and offensive coordinator and offensive line coach will tell you, you know, all of our centers got to put the ball in the same spot because that's where the quarterback likes it. But every quarterback will tell you that is not the case. Uh, you know, centers put the ball in different places. So for JJ to come in to to minimize and I mean, not albeit eliminate, but you know, drastically minimize turnovers or, or snapping or snap issues, um, and, and to hit his assignments uh, as consistently as sorry as consistently as he did, uh, I saw a lot of things out of JJ last year that I was really impressed with, and I'm glad the kid's healthy. I'm glad he's playing. I think he's going to be uh, a real a real bright spot for not just the offensive line, but for the offense generally. Um, he can be a really good player for us. He can, you know, an another one along the lines of, you know, we've had some really good centers, you know, going back to Jeff Saturday, but Lowell Dyer 
Cam Holland, who I played with, those were really good centers. Russell Bodine, everybody knows how good Russ was. He's still playing in the league. Uh, I believe he's up at Buffalo now, uh, but he was a great center there for Cincinnati for a few years. Um, Dillard had a lot of experience, and Lucas Crowley obviously was was a rock there in the middle, and I think J.J. is going to continue that trend for us. So, so, Mike, we've heard a lot about the tackles this season, how it could be a really solid group of tackles with William Sweet at left tackle, Charlie Heck at right tackle. Both of them have experience. Sweet coming off an injury. Charlie Heck started 11 games last season. You've seen them play. You've, you've watched tape on them. What do you like about them? How good can they be? Are these NFL guys, and how important are they to the success of this season? Because looking at it, there's not too much behind those two guys. Well, I, listen, I've been talking up William Sweet, you know, since I had a chance to meet him and speak with him when I was back in law school. And the kid is just he's a sponge. I mean, he wants to he wants to be a student of the game. He wants to know everything he can he can possibly learn. He wants to get the reps. He wants to practice. He wants to get better. Um, and those are things you can't coach. You know, the desire to be good is not something you can coach. And Sweet's got that. Um, and, you know, we obviously know the physical tools. He had him come out of high school. Uh, he showed flashes. Early on in his career, he had some things when he was a freshman that had to come in and play. I remember the Miami game uh, had to come in and play. He had some he had some struggles, and I believe that was actually his first college start. and And I would say that was a fifty fifty game for him. Half the reps, you know, were, were were good enough, were sufficient, and the other half he either got beat or you know showed signs of things he had to work on. The good news is, is that that kid did it, and he showed improvement, and he continues to show improvement. Um, and that's because he wants to be good and he pays attention to his coaching and he absorbs his coaching. Um, as for heck, I mean, I've been talking him up too for a while. He's, he's, he's a big body. He's got, uh, he's got long arms, big hands. If you ever had a chance to shake his hand, he's got a, he's got a man's handshake. Um, you know, he's a very, just a functionally strong kid and he doesn't make a lot of, he doesn't make a lot of mental errors. Um, and because of his size, he doesn't make a lot of physical errors, especially in pass pro. It's very rare that you see him get beat around the edge. Uh, he's got very long levers, very long legs, very long arms. Um, and once he gets his hands on guys, it's pretty much over. And he comes from an NFL pedigree. You know, his dad was the, you know, I don't know if people know this or if they've forgotten it, but his dad was the um, offensive line coach for the Jaguars for a number of years and, and in and out of the NFL um, as an offensive line coach for a while. And, you know, when you've got that background, you know, things are, things are going to, you, you're, you're going to be a little more polished than some other guys. So are Williams sweet and heck, are they, um, are they NFL caliber football players? That, that remains to be that, that that remains to be seen. Um, there's a you know there's a lot of stuff that has to fall into place for those sorts of things to happen. But in terms of the look test, um, you know size, athleticism, the uh, the measurables, yeah, they've got all that. I think they'll both have a shot. Um, you know who's who's got a better shot than the other? I don't know. Um, but they're both going to have to they're both going to have to have productive years this year uh, for them to have a shot at the next level. They're also going to have to have to have very productive seasons this year for Carolina to do well on offense because they're going to be the, the, the strong points on the offensive line. Yeah, so real quick, I mean, how does this group of, of tackles kind of uh, stack up with maybe the tackles from your era and the, the last kind of you know five or six, seven years of Carolina football? How would you compare them to some of the guys that we've seen at tackle uh, in, the, in the recent past? Well, that's a that's 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 a difficult question to answer, right? Because different offenses, um, different offensive philosophies, obviously different coordinators, different coaching staffs. Um, so different things are demanded of them on a on a game in game out basis. And uh, it, it, these, you know, there's a lot more two point stance stuff going on here. So your you know, normal pass set, um, you know, a lot of a lot of runs out of a two point stance. 
Um, so it's hard to see how a guy can really bend out of that. It's very difficult to run block out of a two-point stance. Since we do so much of that, it's hard to see flexibility. It's hard to see uh, hips and hip leverage and things like that. Um, uh, shoulder integrity tends to take a hit when you're coming out of a two-point stance. So there's some things it's hard to compare them. But in terms of just general ability, I mean, they're, 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 they're solid. I mean, they're, they're starters at a Division One school in the ACC for a reason. It's because they can play. Um, it's not because who their dad was, it's not because of who was in front of them or because they don't have somebody behind them pushing. It's because they're good enough. Um, and that's the reason they're playing. That's the reason they're starters. Um, but in terms of how they measure up to guys in the past, guys I played with, you know, I think of, you know, Brian Chacos was a very productive player for Carolina for a number of years. I mean, it feels like he was, you know, he, he played here for, for, for the better half of a decade. I don't everyone know if anybody remembers, but his freshman year, was uh, uh, Julius Peppers was still on the team. And then my freshman year was Chaco's sixth year. So, I mean, the guy was here forever, right? And he was productive the entire time he was here, even when he was hurt, which was essentially his entire sixth year. Um, you know, Garrett, everybody, know, everybody knows about Garrett Reynolds. Garrett's, you know, Garrett was a, was, was a great player here. He was a solid player in the NFL. He had himself a good career. Um, you know, Kyle Jolly, another one I played with. I got a lot of respect for Kyle. Thought he was a good player. Um, you know, it, it, and we, you know, we've had, you know, how many, how many others we had John Heck, you know, Charlie's brother, um, you know, we, we've had guys come in and out. We had Bentley Spain, um, you know, so we've had some good talent come through here. I think these guys are probably in recent memory uh, in terms of having a shot at the next level. I think they're, I think these two have a better shot at actually sustaining a pro career uh, and making it at the next level. Um, although pretty much all of those guys all got their shot. So um, that's in terms of how they measure up. It's it's a difficult question to answer because you're looking at different offenses, different demands, uh, different technique is being taught because you obviously have different position coaches and different coordinators. Um, but in terms of just general ability, I mean they're 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 up there with the best of them. Just as a throw off question, I want to ask you about the guards as well. But as a throw off, you you mentioned uh, two point stances. Though. How many times were you in a two point stance? in your career at Carolina versus, you know, the quote unquote normal stance back in the day. Uh, three yeah, your normal, stance. yeah. Yeah. Your normal three point stance with your hand on the ground. Uh, you know, so we would experiment with it. So, you know, we, uh, the problem with, 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 with us was that a lot of our plays, you know, our, we ran play action. We wanted to look like the run. Well, we always ran the ball out of a three point stance. So you could kind of tell, based on the offensive lineman's stance. And this is no, listen, this wasn't just a, a, an us problem. I mean, every offensive line in the country at every level deals with this issue. Um, you know, are you tipping people off with your stance? You know, when you're in a two-point versus when you're in a three-point, do you predominantly run the ball out of a three-point, predominantly pass out of a two-point? I would say that's generally true for every single offense. Uh, for us, we were much more run-heavy out of a three-point and much, much, much more pass-heavy out of a two-point. I mean, it was almost 100%. If we were in a two-point stance, we were throwing the ball. Um, so what we would do is we would actually experiment. I remember the entire NC State game, uh, my junior year, we lined up the whole game in a two-point stance because we realized after watching film for, you know, what was at that point 10, 11 games um, of game film from that season, we realized that uh, defenses were figuring out. They were stacking the box when we'd get down in a three-point stance, and then they were spreading out a little bit more um, getting, you know, cheating into their pass coverage and their pass lanes um, when we were in our two-point. Obviously, the defensive linemen were pinning their ears back whenever we were in a two-point stance, you know, anticipating pass. And for defensive linemen, um, you know, if you're wrong on that, you know, one out of every 10 times, 
meaning you pin your ears back and you you immediately uh, default to a, to some pass rush move and we end up running the ball. You're you're wrong on that one out of ten times. You get gashed once for six, seven, ten, twelve yards one time in the game. That's a risk you're willing to take. So for us, we would go ahead and experiment different games coming out of a two point stance out of different looks. It was just difficult because it wasn't something that we practiced a lot. Um, when it's, that's not an admonition of our coaching staff or anything. That's just, you know, the, the, the nature of our offense was that we were going to run the ball out of a three-point stance and throw it out of a two. So we, there was no need to practice coming out of different stances. But Sam Pittman tried to do as good a job as he could teaching us that. Um, you know, the, the, the thing is, is one thing I learned at the next level was as a guard, I don't know that I was ever in a two-point stance in pass protection. Uh, at the next level, so it's that that was that's one way to fight off the uh, creating a tell right or a um, 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 you know given a given away given away what 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 you might be doing uh, offensively right if you have your guards are always in a three point stance tackles switch it up fifty fifty go two point out of the run sometimes half the time um, you know that that's one way to throw off defenses and and to to not create that tendency right and to give away that tendency on film but. That's something we just didn't do. You know, our guards got in two-point stances when I was here, and I noticed they still do the same thing. But, you know, here now in this offense, they run out of a two-point significantly more than I ever did. It's interesting just how much the game's changed or offenses have changed just in the last 10 years or so. Let me ask you about William Barnes. Larry Fedora was asked about it, uh, you know, and he's talked about how the freshmen and their heads are swimming and, and all this and how it's tough for a true freshman to play on the offensive line, Barnes is going to have that shot, I think. I think he's going to get a legitimate shot to be the right guard on this team. Speak from your experience, a true freshman or even a redshirt freshman coming in and doing that uh, and playing that integral role in this line for North Carolina. Well, I mean, that right guard spot is much more integral considering the fact we got a left-handed quarterback now. Um, and we know that our, you know, we know that Nathan's going to be the starter and he's, he's a lefty. So, you know, his blind side is now the right side. It's not the left side, you know, like with most, most quarterbacks, cause 80, 88, 89% of quarterbacks are all right-handed. Um, so it's, it's even more important that the right side of our line be, be, be solid and be dependable because even guards, right. Guards get quarterbacks hit in their back and quarterbacks can't see for the most part when they drop back, they're not seeing much of anything coming from their coming from their blind side, even when it's as close as a defensive tackle. Um, it doesn't have to be a defensive end that can blindside them, a, a D tackle can. So it's important that we have our right guard and our right tackle be strong. Um, and everything that I've heard about William Barnes is that, I mean, he's, he's up for the task. Now he is a freshman. Um, and the way I would, the way that I would typically do it is I would take a freshman and I would put him on the, I'd put him on the site side. So if I've got a lieutenant quarterback, I'd make him my left guard. Um, right-handed kids are a little more comfortable playing the right side. I know that I was, um, and maybe that's why they've got him there. If he's right-handed, then he may just be more comfortable on the right side. Maybe that's where he's practiced and they don't want to give him too much to think about too soon. I mean, he's already switching up his stance and he's switching everything up from what he did in high school. So there's a big enough, you know, there's already a big enough adjustment for him. You don't want to flood him with too much stuff, too much change too soon is bad. Um, so it's kind of you spoon feed him a little bit here, a little bit there, and you just make sure he's as comfortable as possible. Because if he's going to be your guy, you don't want him thinking about things like, you know, do I have enough cleats in the ground in my two point stance? Um, you know, do I have enough weight on the inside? You know, or, or am I giving things away with my eyes? You want him worrying about, do I know what to do on this play? I mean, stuff that simple um, and not thinking about the other more 
natural athletic things, right? Um, where his feet are, where his body weight is, you know, how high or lower his hips, you know, you just want him going out there and rolling out and being comfortable. So if he's, if he's right-handed and he's more comfortable on the right side, then that explains why he's there. Um, it, you know, can he be the guy as a freshman? Of course he can. Uh, you know, I think that's what a lot of people are, are wondering and you get enamored with, you know, Lou posts workout videos or the kids squatting 585. I mean, for reference, when I left Carolina, my squat max was 600 pounds. I was telling my wife that tonight at dinner. I mean, it's, it's insane that the kid's that strong as a freshman um, and, and, that, and that explosive. But, you know, you get enamored with stuff. That, that stuff can be kind of a uh, – it's, it's, it's smoke and mirrors almost. It's, it's, it's a red herring. You don't want to put too much stock in things like that because, you know, that's, that's the hype machine. What really matters is, you know, when, he, when you roll the ball out there, can the kid play? And everything that I hear about him is that, yeah, he's, he, he, the, the, the hype might be real with him. He's, he's, he's a very – um, he's it, fundamentally he's 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 more advanced than he should be at this point. Um, physically, he's he's a physically dominating presence. Um, you know whether that's going to result in knockdowns and and sheer domination of defensive linemen as a true freshman, I highly doubt it. Right, but it will give him it'll give him a, a slight advantage over uh, anyone he's competing against on his own team, uh, just because he's he, you know he's he's got the size thing down already, and you can't teach that. You can't coach size, so. Um, I think he can be the, I think he can be the guy. It's all going to depend on how, you know, his mental makeup and, and how is he processing the game? How is he processing the playbook? Is he putting them all together? Does he understand offensive concepts? Cause it's one thing to know the play. It's a whole nother thing to understand what your coordinator is trying to get out of that play. And if you can understand the why, why we're running this in this situation, why we're not running something else. If you can understand the why, and you can start to understand all the things that, that your fellow offensive linemen are doing, what their responsibilities are, then the playbook and all that becomes second nature. And that stuff only comes through reps. It only comes through doing it. And it really only comes through doing it in a game because you can run it in practice all day long, but there's nothing like running it in a game. Um, so, you know, the, the, the Cal game, if he is the starter, is going to be a real test for him. It's really going to show us what we got. But I also wouldn't put too much stock in it if he is the starter and he doesn't play, you know, great, lights out. He's not, you know first team all world man mountain dean out there um you know there's a lot of stuff swimming around in his head and just the fact that he was he out competed some people and he won that starting spot as a freshman you know that that speaks volumes about who he is and the kind of player this staff thinks he can be so um you know he's it's, it's all gonna be about how does he how does he process things how is he understanding the playbook is he understanding the why is he understanding the purpose behind the concept of what we're running um and why we're not running certain other things and does he get the big picture? And if he gets all that, I mean, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. Good stuff. All right, Mike, we have a Twitter question, and I think Tommy can chime in here as well. <clears throat> this is from Argon of Sakad at Frost11B. There's a lot going on there with his Twitter handle. He asked, he asked us, he asked us, are we kidding ourselves thinking that the offensive line can be better than last year, even though they have less experience? And if they are better, are we looking at – or sorry, and if they are not better, are we looking at another disaster season even if we stay relatively healthy? So, we, I mean, the team lost four starters, and Greg's been on me about kind of hyping up this O-line. But they are less experienced than last year, and last year's team did struggle up front. So what do you kind of think about that, the fact that it's, it's maybe talented players but no experience, uh, and given the struggles last year, can they really be better than last year? Well, I mean, yeah, they can, and we won't really know how good they are. <clears throat> Excuse me. We won't know how good they are until about week four. 
Um, and I talk about this every single year and I'll, I'll harp on it. You know, when we do the post game, uh, the post game pods here, that's coming up this season, you, you don't know what your team is going to look like till about midway through the season, but you have a pretty good idea by week four. And the reason why it takes that long is first game of the season is jitters. First game of the season is the first game of the season. And it's the first time you're strapping it up against somebody else. Um, it's, it, there, there's a million things whizzing by your head. There's a million things whizzing through your head. Um, and it's generally just a sloppy game from a technique standpoint because it's the first time that you've taken all the technique and all the fundamentals you've worked on up to that point, you know, through the off season, through the spring, through the summer, through training camp. It's the first time you've taken all that stuff and applied it to an unfamiliar opponent, right? To, to another human being who's been taught all of his own stuff and he's trying to implement all his own stuff. And it's the first time you, you've both had this awkward moment with each other, right? And you've had to actually apply your training and apply your teaching. Um, so that's game one. Game two is always an improvement and it's usually light years from an individual standpoint. And even from a team execution standpoint, it's usually light years better than what you see in game one. And then there's a, there's an improvement from game two to three. And then by game four, you've sort of leveled off and plateaued as a player. Um, and usually, you know, you'll see that, um, as it happens with every single player that causes a ripple effect and you'll tend to plateau, um, schematically in, in terms of, you know, an offense and a defense. So, um, I say all that to say this. Uh, yes, they absolutely can be better than last year because just because and this and this isn't me. I don't want this to come off the wrong way. This is not me saying that the guys last year couldn't play. There was an injury bug. There was all kinds of crazy. We know what was going on last year. It was it was it was wild. Um, so generally, this is me speaking generally. Every offensive line in the country, every position group in the country, at every school, uh, on every team, and at every level, experience is great unless the guys who have the experience can't play. You can have all the game experience in the world, but if you can't play, you can't play. It, it, there's nothing going to there's nothing gonna make you a better player if it's just not clicking for you. I mean, I can go out there and you, know, you can stick me on a, on a badminton court, right, and have me play 20 badminton games before the week's out. I ain't going to be no better at badminton before the, you know, today, you know, a week from now than I am today. It's just, that's just how it's going to be. Right? I'm not going to be better at, any better at soccer two weeks from now than I am today if you had me go out there and you play uh, 20 soccer matches with me. It's just not going to happen. Um, it, it, some guys are just limited in what they can do. Um, the way you break through that is, I mean, it's, base, it's, it's, it's ability. It's natural ability. And everything that I understand about this team and the guys that we have coming up, this is William Barnes, William Sweet, Charlie Heck, J.J. McCargo, all of them, even, even the backups on the interior. They're young, they're inexperienced, right? But they all have natural ability. And they're all very coachable, right? And there's and we're seeing that right now because there's a battle for that right guard spot, um, and that's and that's the sort of thing you want because that competition is going to make everybody better. Uh, because one of those guys that's pushing for the starting right guard spot that doesn't get it, he's then going to start pushing for the left guard spot, or even might start pushing McCargo at center because they're going to have to find some way for that kid. If that kid really can play that third guard, that's that swing guard. They're going to have to find somewhere for him to play because you put your players on the field. You get them out there. Um, and that's, that's going to constantly refine and, and, and make everybody better, right, as a result. Um, so, yeah, they can absolutely be better. Uh, will they? I don't know. You know here's, 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 the, here's the flip side of that, right? There's the eternal optimism. And here's the, here's the unfortunate reality that most teams find themselves in. People think tackles matter, tackles matter, tackles matter in terms of pass protection. They do. But a defensive end has a, law, a much longer path to the quarterback than a three technique does or even a nose, 
And if your guys inside can't protect, you're in trouble. And if it's a sieve up front, and as soon as that quarterback drops, he's got somebody in his face, you're not going to be very successful on offense. Or as, soon, or, or as soon as that quarterback turns to hand the ball, that running back's got somebody in his face, and he's got to cut back prematurely, right? Or he's got to bounce it prematurely and, and deviate from the script and deviate from the plan. Things aren't going to go well for you. Um, and if that's the world we find ourselves in because of the inexperience, which is a very plausible reality, then, yeah, we're going to have we're, we're going to struggle. And I'm going to tell you this right now. You're going to see that against Cal and you're going to see it against UCF and you're going to see it against ECU. Those first three games of the season, it's going to happen. There's going to be some stuff that's going to look real bad and the fans are going to rip these kids apart. And I'm going to tell you right now to just chill the hell out because they've got a long season to play. They're young. And apparently, from again, from everything I've been told and everything I've seen and what I've heard, is that they're all fundamentally more advanced than they should be at this point, and they can all play. So just give them time. All right. Good. That, that was a long answer, Mike. Yeah, but, it was. Uh, yeah. But we appreciate it here on the IC Podcast. All right, guys, time for my new live, live read. We're super hyped to bring in this new sponsor. like to introduce uh, – Jersey Mike's at Chapel Hill to Inside the Carolina podcast. It's your place to go for a quick sub or even a tailgating option. Think about this. You're driving into Chapel Hill from, from all parts of North Carolina, the beach, north, south, east, west, the mountains. You're coming in with your, your boys or your family, and you need a quick place to get food or you need some food for a, for a tailgate. Where do you go? Jersey Mike's is a great place. There's three in Chapel Hill and one in Hillsborough, owned by our guys Clint, Charlie and Griffin, diehard UNC fans, Inside Carolina guys, Rams Club members, uh, some of the big, biggest Carolina fans I know. There's a location on Elliott Road, right in Chapel Hill, on Falcon Bridge Shopping Center, right off 54, coming in on I-40 from Raleigh. There's one on MLK, right off 40, coming in off that exit, um, off 40 in the Harris Theater Shopping Center. And there's another in Hillsborough at exit 164, coming from the west so there's four options to get your subs in chapel hill and we're giving you a promo code to go to jerseymikes.com backslash order it'll show the locations nearest to you just click order pick your favorite sub like the original italian mike's way or my personal favorite the big kahuna cheesesteak and then at checkout enter heels 15 that's h-e-e-l-s one five and get 15 percent off your whole order skip the line head straight to the register and grab your food and you're on your way you can order 10 subs for your family 20 for the tailgate or just one or two subs for you and your wife do it today place an order online at elliott road or falcon bridge or any of the four locations near chapel hill and come pick it pick it up it's a super easy process and it's going to help out local owners of the jersey mike franchise and of course the inside Carolina podcast and pretty soon in september we're gonna have two new locations one in Durham on 15501, kind of coming into Chapel Hill, and then one in Pittsburgh, kind of up from Pittsburgh, New Briar Chapel, coming into Chapel Hill from the south. So they've got the whole Chapel Hill area locked down. Again, heels 15. It's 15% off, and it's only online for your Jersey Mike's order. Back to you, Tommy. Heels 15. All right, I have to remember that because that one on 54 is right in coming in, heading towards the Bowes lot on Saturday yeah. afternoons. Yeah, and sometimes there's uh, there's lines. I mean, obviously, you don't usually order online, but sometimes there's a big line for lunch during the week, and you can just kind of hop in 
get your order and uh, and use that promo code and get a little bit off your sub and help out the IC podcast and help out some local business owners. Good stuff, Ross. Thank you to Jersey Mike's for joining us, becoming a part of this show. Mike, let's ask. Let's go to a more general question, but I want your personal take. They're ten practices in a training camp. They'll start game planning for Cal, I guess, um, in a week or so. But where are these players at mentally uh, and physically? We saw Michael Carter go down over the weekend in the scrimmage, hurt his wrist. He's out till maybe the first or second or the third week in the season. Four to six weeks. So. Four to six weeks from now. So you're looking at UCF best guess. But, Mike, talk about that aspect of it. I mean, camp gets old. It sucks. um, And they still got a ways to go. Yeah, I mean, they're tired. I mean, they're tired mentally and they're tired physically. I mean, that's the easiest way to describe it. Um, And, you know, fans see it as, you know, they're out there just practicing and all that. But how bad can it really be? Yeah, it's hot. But, you know, you get a practice and, you know, you have a couple of meetings and you're done. Well, it's actually not. Uh, it's it's significantly more involved than that. Um, you know, you're up basically six o'clock every single morning. Uh, you know, your body aches, you're sore. Um, every free minute you have, you're spending stretching. Uh, you're going to have a lift uh, most days. Uh, typically, it's every other day, but sometimes they sneak in a couple extra ones. Um, it's not a whole lot of rest time. Um, so you're going to have meetings and then a, a lift and then more meetings and then practice and then more meetings. And then there you got meals sprinkled in and then you got some more meetings, you got install, you got film review from, from earlier in the day. Then you're putting in new stuff. And, you know, if you're already swimming about one concept that you put in or one, one, one package that you, that your coordinator had, uh, had, had installed for that day, if you're swimming on that and you don't really grasp it, you know, then all of a sudden you got some new stuff being piled on and that new stuff is going to build off the old stuff because everything is connected in an offense. Um, so now you're starting to stress out a little bit and you're freaking out and, you know, it feels like you've been there for a month and a half, but it's only been a week and a half. And, um, you know, you got nicks and bumps and bruises that you haven't had, you know, all summer by now your bruises, some of the bruises are starting to harden over and you're getting, um, you know, you're getting kind of tough patches there, you know, in your skin and your muscle and you're still sore in other areas and you're sunburnt. It's just, it's a grind, man. I mean, that's, it's that's, it's, it's terrible. Oh, and there's no women around. There's just none. Like there's no, <laughs> there are, there's just no girls and it sucks. Um, you can't go out and drink and there's just, there's just nothing there. There's, there, there's no one to hang out with. There's nobody on campus. It's just, it's boring. Um, you know, you're stuck in a locker room with a bunch of dudes, um, you know, a hundred other dudes all the time. At this point, they're probably sick of each other. Um, you know, I remember, I remember we got at this point in camp, God, it had to be 2000, I guess, 2008. Um, and, and all the guys listening to this will remember the story, but, um, it, I think Tydreek Powell was a freshman or a red shirt freshman. And, uh, and we were out there practicing. It was hot and I was tired and I was, I wasn't having a bad, you know, it, it, to me, all my practices were bad. I don't know if it was actually a bad practice or it just wasn't, it wasn't good by my standards. Um, but I was just, I was, I was pissed off cause I felt like I was making mistakes and it was hot. And Tydreek Powell tried doing a little bit of extra stuff after a play once, nothing major. I mean, just an extra little shove, nothing that, you know, we don't all do almost every single play, but I was just, I was at my wits end and I hauled off and I hit him. And it started a fight, and mm-hmm. Butch Butch made me made me and Ty Dreek hold hands and run a <laughs> lap around the field while the entire Love team it. stopped and watched. And that 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 film that was recorded, it was shown at the end of camp uh, as a reminder that you do not waste time in practice fighting because every single minute matters. And, well, uh, and so go ahead. About, what were you all talking about when you held hands uh, running running around the, the field? <laughs> 
how how hot it was and how disgusting it was the D-line pees on themselves because you can't tell because everybody's so sweaty, their pants are soaking wet, you can't tell the difference between urine and water, and usually the urine is just water because you're so hydrated. Um, but th- that was, that, that was it. We, we weren't talking about much cause we were still pretty pissed at each other, but looking back on it, man, me, me and Tydreek laughed about that for two straight years after that. It's funny. I got so a little question. Let me ask a question on, the, so you, you threw a punch and it with it at a guy with his helmet on. Yeah. Cause I'm an idiot. Yeah. I was going to say, okay. I was just, I was just curious about that. Uh, hey, sorry, Ross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No problem. So, so Mike, and he threw, and he, and, he, and he threw him back. That's how tired and delirious we were. We thought it was a good idea. And so does every other guy gets in a fight camp. The number one rule in, in, in training camp fights is you do not take your helmet off. Oh yeah. Never, never take, take your helmet off. Never take your helmet seeing, off. I love seeing all these NFL when they practice with each other, all those big scrums with the NFL players, they're going nuts. This guy, I feel like it's kind of the same. Some of that stuff is staged too, because when guys get real tired, some guys some guys are real wily veterans, and then they know how to start a fight to get everybody about a ten minute break. Because um, yeah. you know, no one's actually really some of those fights. If you look, no one's actually really fighting. Um, and if you really look close, a couple of the guys in the middle might actually be smiling and laughing. Uh, so, so some of that, some of that stuff is for real, but especially at that level, a lot of that stuff is staged because veterans know how to get breaks. So, Mike, a little follow-up to what you said about camp. You, you mentioned all these meetings. I mean, for a guy like oh, me, God. probably a lot of people on the uh, on the IC message board, what are these meetings all about? Like, what are Give us some examples of what they're talking about in these meetings during training camp and, and kind of what goes down that we don't see uh, inside the building. So in the morning, you're going to have uh, – and when I say in the morning, I mean like right after breakfast. Right after breakfast, you're going to have – uh, a meeting going over the film from the previous day. Um, so it's 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 the previous day's practice. Um, if you had any walkthrough tape, maybe it's the walkthrough tape because everything's everything's filmed. Um, and you, you go through that and you just kind of clean up mistakes from the day before. Then you'll go on to a lift and then you'll go eat another meal and probably on a practice. Uh, and then you come back. And then that night, uh, you know, usually the last meeting of the night because you'll review the game film you'll, or you'll review, the, you'll review the practice film from the practice that you just had right after practice. Um, and then you'll, again, you'll get it again the very next morning just, you know, to, to touch things up. But the last meeting of the night before you leave the building, which is probably, I don't know, an eight thirty nine o'clock at night meeting that goes till 10, 10 30, maybe. Um, that meeting is, um, that's your install for the next day. So, you know, that's the last thing they, they want that being the last thing that you hear before you go to sleep. So it's the you know, you have that meeting leading into what is supposed to be your study time in the room that night before you go to sleep so that the install is the only thing you're thinking about, the only thing you're dreaming about. And that way you come in in the morning, you review yesterday's practice. Coaches will then take that cleanup, you know, that cleanup session of yesterday's practice film, and then they'll apply it to, now this is what we're going to be doing today. This is what we installed last night. Let's go ahead and talk about it. Your position coach will talk about it. Um, because the last meeting the night, you know, at, at, at night, the night before, that's going to be a big, that's going to be like an all offense, all defense install meeting. Um, you might break apart with your coaches for extra 20, 30 minutes where they go over it a little bit, but most coaches just kind of let you get out of there and, and get back to the room and go to sleep. So in the morning is when your coaches will actually go through that install with how they, they want it implemented on a position group specific um, basis. All right. I'm going to shift away a little bit. I'm going to give a shout out to Mike Morgan, Go Heels 252 on Twitter. He asked if I could find it. Uh, Mike, I'll ask you this, and we'll keep it fairly recent um, because you guys are younger than me. So let's go back, um, say, to 
95 or 98 ish okay if y'all had to pick one all-time circa 98 to present last 20 years carolina quarterback running back and ride receiver for a two-minute drill to win the acc championship game mike who would it be and why i'll let you go first oh man that's tough um quarterback running back wide receiver yep good question Quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Quarterback, man, that's quarterbacks. Quarterbacks, Darian Durant. That's where I was thinking. Quarterbacks, Darian Durant, hands down. Uh, receiver, receiver's tough. I mean, I I gotta tell you, I, I mean, I probably go with, I'm probably going with Hakeem Nix on that, just because hey, Hakeem just alike. Hakeem ran such good routes, and I actually talked to Hakeem uh, last week, um, but Hakeem ran such good routes. Um, his hands are ridiculous. I don't know if anybody listens to Barstool Radio. I'm not going to plug another media outlet, but uh, Pat McAfee had a show the other day, and he was talking to Najee Good, uh, who was actually our fifth-round draft pick uh, in 2012 in Tampa. Um, Najee's a linebacker now with the Colts, and they were talking about – they both played at West Virginia and played against us in the bowl game in 08, and they had a whole five, ten-minute segment sitting there talking about Hakeem Nix and the catch and Hakeem's hands and all this stuff, the, the, the sheer – the literal size of his hands. Um, so Hakeem is still being talked about. So, I mean, I – I'm going with Hakeem. I might even go with, um, I might even go with with, with Brandon Tate just because of the speed. And then along the speed route, I'm going with Willie Parker at running back because you're going to spread the field and you need speed and you need guys that can catch out of the backfield. Now, now I, I will say if we're going if we're going to go that route, Geo or Johnny White would also be a solid running back for a two minute drill just because you can split them out and they're good receivers out of the backfield. Johnny was actually a wide receiver at one point in his career. Um, so that, you know, people remember Johnny white ran great routes and, and was able to get separation, caught a lot of balls. So, um, you know, that, that would be a Darian Durant at quarterback, hands down. Absolutely. Probably Hakeem Nicks hands down. Absolutely. And then the running back's interesting. Cause you got Willie Parker is a burner. Johnny white's a burner also played receiver and geo is geo. I mean, a guy can do everything. So yeah, uh, that's, go, that's how right. I'd go. All right. You're I'll, up, Ross. I'll, I'll take it now. I mean, to be honest with y'all, I mean, I didn't really start watching UNC bat UNC football until, you know, late or early 2000s. I was actually a Georgia Tech football fan growing up. My dad went to Georgia Tech. So my history of, of UNC football is uh, is pretty brief. I'm going to go Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. I mean, watching him against Pittsburgh, obviously we only had one year with him. Kind of see what he could do. But I just remember him as, as a field general with the combination of running and obviously a very accurate passer. Uh, I think he'd be great in that two-minute drill. We saw it against against Pittsburgh and uh, throughout his career, his his brief UNC career. I'd go Ryan Switzer. I mean, the leading oh, receiver, yeah. leading receiver in UNC history in terms of yards and receptions. Uh, for that two-minute yeah, drill, yeah. you know, you don't need to you don't need to go deep. You just need to get the ball out quick and then get some yards and get out of bounds. I think he's perfect for that. Um, and also, you know, in terms of what he can do with the ball in his hands. And then I was thinking Geo before uh, Mike said him, but I mean Geo, I think has a good combination of quickness and power, and he catches the ball in the backfield and and has that speed as well. And uh, he was one of the more impressive running backs um, during his his also sh- uh, short career at UNC. Yeah, I, I agree with Mike on the Durant pick. Though I wanted to be a little different. I want to be a little different, Tommy. You know. Well, Spice I agree because. Well, I mean, the Trubisky against Pittsburgh, I, I doubt uh, you can find a better performance at the end of a game than you have with Trubisky. And not only Trubisky, Pro making the catches and all. 
to end that pit game, but Durant was just the man. I don't think he gets as much credit for what he did at North Carolina uh, because for the most part, they weren't very good overall, but Durant was something else. And then he's a dang legend up there in Canada. I'm going to tell you, I mean, he's got, did you know Darren Durant has his own in Saskatchewan has his own F-150 it's the Durant edition F-150. You can only buy it in Saskatchewan, Canada, right? And it's got a four. It's like the King Ranch, but instead of the King Ranch logo, it's got a four stitched into the headrest. Swear to God, true story. That, that is, that's pretty sweet. Durant, and then you've got Hakeem Nix. Everybody, I, I still don't think the West Virginia catch gets enough press, and it didn't at the time it happened. I remember being at the game and being having good seats and like, did he just catch that? And nobody on West Virginia's team thought he had caught it. But he also had a catch at Duke where he yeah, pinned his helmet. helmet. Yep. Okay. And, yeah, it was 2008 for a touchdown. And I haven't seen that since. Everybody talks about the Giants guy catching it in the Super Bowl. I get it. Knicks did the same thing. Um, probably a little tougher catch against Duke. And running back is tough. I like the Johnny White pick. He's a little unsung, but you got to go Geo there. Uh, I mean, he could do it all. Um, and Bernard is obviously a Carolina legend for the state return, but there's so many more plays there where he just, the wow factor that Bernard has. So great question, Mike. I appreciate it. Ross, I'm going to turn it back to you. Uh, lead it, lead the way, man. For a question? Question. You want to tell us a little bit okay. about Hills travel? We hadn't heard from yeah, him let's today. Do, let's do the other live read now while, while we're here. Real quick, you already know about a way to go travel, also known as Heels Travel, uh, our second sponsor after Jersey Mike's. And they've partnered with IC to provide a better travel alternative for UNC Wake games. I spoke to my man Chuck Joyce, the president of Heels Travel, a diehard UNC fan, a Greensboro native, uh, just a basketball and football he's all in. And he was kind of upset with how UNC and their affiliates do travel for away games and he wanted to come with a better more efficient option so he's been running this uh this travel site this travel company for years now and he put together heels travel a way to get to away games uh in a better more efficient way they're selling packages right now for the cal unc game um you can find those on their website at heelstravel.com i think there's six packages they want to sell to kind of complete the deal and then they're going to push for the ecu game a bust ecu and a bus to the Virginia game. So those are the football games that are really promoting right now. For the Cal game, you get airfare from RDU to San Francisco, a bus ride to and from the airport, and a three-night stay at the Hotel Chatuck Plaza in Berkeley, California. So you're right there in Berkeley. Easy access to that town, and then you're right by the MARTA. Sorry, the BART. I was thinking Atlanta. The BART Metro, which takes you into San Francisco, as you can see, and do things in that beautiful city. So visit HeelsTravel.com right now or call 336-855-0060 to book now. HeelsTravel.com, 336-855-0060. I know a lot of people always are like want to go to these away games, these basketball away games, these cool football away games. This is your chance to kind of knock it out, press a couple of buttons, make some calls, and knock it out. So get with my man Chuck Joyce at HeelsTravel.com and lock down a trip to a UNC away game. Back to you, Tommy. Appreciate it, Ross. Or we can just fly on Mike's private jet. He'll get us anywhere we need to go. Mike, let yeah. me ask you. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's what private practice law gets you. Let, let me ask you one more question off 
the internet. If you're starting a team from scratch, current players only, which five Tar Heels would you choose first? Ooh. Ooh. From this current team. Current team. You gotta go stout defensive lineman to start, right? So I'm going Strober I'm going Strobridge, absolutely. I've seen I've wow. seen I've seen a lot of Strobridge. I like Strobridge a lot. Um I'm going Strobridge, I'm going Malik Carney or my defensive lineman. Um let me think here. Strobridge, Carney. I'm going Anthony Williams. I got. I got to go Anthony. Rat- I still call him Anthony Ratliff. That's who. He, that's, that's 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 who he was when I when helped coach him in high school. Um, he's a great kid. He's an unbelievable player. I'm. I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm really happy to see him playing well. I'm taking Ant. Um, so there's three. Uh, I'm taking. He's hurt, but I'm taking Michael Carter. Um, so there's four. And then uh, I tell you what, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take my man McCargo. I'm taking JJ McCargo. You gotta have a center. You gotta have a field general, right? Center's usually your guy. You anchoring down the middle. So, so that's that's my five. Nice work, Ross. I'll give you uh, thirty seconds to give me your five. Okay, I kind of zoned down what Mike said, so I'm gonna answer uh, on my own without considering what he said. I'm gonna go Aaron Crawford in the middle. Aaron Crawford is nose tackle in the middle. I'm gonna go. I'll go Cole Holcomb as your as your middle linebacker, outside mm-hmm. linebacker. I'll go. Um, I'll go. Miles Dorn and use him as a safety. Another and good call. A, and a wide receiver. I, I have him go both ways and on special teams. I'd go Ratliff Williams. I think he's the most talented guy on the roster. And I will go Charlie Heck as my uh, as my versatile tackle there. Those are my um, building blocks for my five man current Tar Heel team. Nice. I'll close it. I'll go Crawford because I think you got to have a D tackle that couldn't make a difference i like the carney pick you need a defensive end i'm gonna stay on defense i'm going jk Britt in the back mm-hmm. end mm-hmm. and then on offense gotta be arw yep so that's unanimous that's, that's four for me and then i'm gonna go antonio williams even though he hasn't played and, <laughs> and with carter being down so those are my five yeah, it, it, briefly, Fedora made a point to, to call to kind of praise J.K. Britt. So I think I think he feels really good about the safeties because we know that Miles Dorn has that experience, and J.K. Britt's a smart kid back there who's also seen a lot of football in his four years. And Fedora seemed very impressed with what he's done so far. So that's kind of exciting. Miles Miles Dorn's gonna have a good year. I got a I got a, I got a good feeling about Dorn. I think they've got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. I think they figure it out in the on the offensive line and in the trenches. And at quarterback position, I think Carolina could surprise. Mike, I told you I'd give you an opportunity since you missed the uh, podcast that we picked the season, but we're going to keep this short. So oh, I'm yeah. going to go through the season before we wrap this podcast, and I want you to give me wins and losses, all right? Yep. At okay. Cal. At Cal. At Cal. Uh, I mean, it, so first three games, Cal, UCF, we're going two and one. I don't know what that combination is going to be. Um, I'm going to go ahead and call – I'm going to go ahead and call Cal a win. They've got to start off the season with a win. We just haven't done it against a big power five opponent in a while. Um, the the flip side with Cal, my concern with them is that there's a new staff. Or sorry, sorry, never mind. Never mind, I'm thinking UCF. Go ahead. I, Cal, Cal's a win. All right. And you're starting to get a little bit cyborg, but I'm not going to edit it because that's part of it, man. It's live radio. Uh, at ECU. That's obvious, ECU's, right? ECU's a win. UCF national champions come to Chapel Hill. Defending national champions coming to Chapel Hill. I, we haven't been able to say that in a while, um, if ever. Um, 
Yeah, that's a loss. And the, the reason it's a loss is people are saying, well, they lost, the, you know, they lost Scott Frost and they lost their staff. And, well, you know, they're not going to be as good. And they lost a few pieces. Uh, here's the reality of losing your staff and you get a new staff. We don't have any film on this staff. We don't have any film on these players running those schemes. Um, so it's all going to be brand new for us. It's going to be brand new for UCF, but they're going to have two games of experience coming into that already, two games of practice in their system. We're going to have no practice against their system. Um, and they're, you know, they're Jimmy's and Joe's running their X's and O's. So that's a loss. Pittsburgh, first ACC game. Pittsburgh's a win. Pittsburgh hasn't beaten us since they've been, since they've been in the ACC. They're not going to beat us now. Never have, never will. At Miami. Miami at Miami is a loss. Miami is a good team. They're bringing a lot back. I, I got Miami one of the coastal. Um, I think Miami this year might even knock off Clemson and make the playoff. Woo-wee. Mm, Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech is – Virginia Tech is a is a loss. I mean, we we need a Virginia Tech win. We've needed one for a long time, but I'm 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 calling that one a loss. At Q's, October twentieth, Syracuse is the wild card in, in in this schedule, right? So I think uh, Syracuse is a win uh, because I just you're, you're not going to get me to put a whole lot of stock in in Syracuse. They haven't been Syracuse hasn't been relevant since Marvin Harrison and Donovan McNabb were there, um, and they're 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 on the up and up. Uh, Dino Babers, right? Dino Babers is the head coach up there. Uh, they've got they've got a they've got a good team. They've got a lot of talent. They're playing better in the Carrier Dome. They obviously knocked off Clemson last year. They're a tough team at home, but you know Carolina's these guys are going to be coming off of a loss potentially two. They're they're going to be hungry for a win. They're going to need it. They're going to get Syracuse. All right. All right. So win at Q's, uh going to Virginia. Not as unkind as it used to be, but Carolina and Cavaliers up there. Yeah, it's a tough game for Carolina. It's always tough up there in Charlottesville, and Virginia is usually one of the dirtiest teams we play all year between between them and State. It's tough, but I still give them a win. Georgia Tech in Keenan Stadium loss, first week of loss, November. Loss, 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 At uh, Three losses, Georgia Tech, three losses. Uh, at Duke. Now, this is a big one for Larry Fedora. At, at Duke's a win. Look, look, Larry loses three games at Duke. That's the first time that's happened. I mean, is that the first time that's happened ever, three straight at Duke? Um, I mean, at least in Spurrier was there, right? Exactly. So that's that's. I mean, that's that. We're getting on Tommy's must-win stuff. I mean, that, that's a must-win game. They gotta have it. That's a win. Western Carolina. Western's a win. All right, and the big one I think is Larry Fedora. Larry Fedora personally, his biggest game of the season, NC State to close the regular season. NC NC State, I'm giving them a win, and I know right now that's got me what at nine and three on the season. Carolina's winning eight football games this year, and one of those games I picked to be a win, maybe the Syracuse game or the Virginia game. I'm calling is is going to be the flip. That's going to be one of those losses um, that we're not expecting. I think again, weeks one through three, or yeah, one through three, we're going two and one. I think we're losing to UCF, but Cal and UCF can be can be swapped, um, and then we're you know we're going to beat uh, we're going to beat ECU. The state game is a win. They got to win it. Um, so that'll be, that'll be, I anticipate that'll be their eighth win of the year. There'll be one that they're going to lose in the middle and one that they win that they shouldn't win. Um, and that's the kind of year we're going to have. Good stuff, Mike powered through the end there. Appreciate you getting those picks in a lot more positive than some of those guys on the show earlier in the week were myself included, I think, but I said before Ross, and as we close this one, they could be four and eight or eight and four and neither would surprise me. And I stand by. Guys, appreciate you joining me on the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Thanks, guys. See you, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.